It is so good to be back with you after being out for several weeks. I do want to say a word of thanks, uh, since I haven't been with you since Christmas Eve, but a word of thanks to our staff for all the work that they did on the Christmas Eve video for us, but then also the outdoor service, just the altar guild and their decorations and uh, Chris and Rusty for their technical work and our staff. I think the only, the only real hiccup in the whole thing was the staff person responsible uh, for putting the chairs out on that trailer in, in 30 degree weather, uh, he put out metal chairs. Uh, so he's been fired and sadly, uh, Lori and Renee actually called Madison police and arrested him for crimes against humanity. So uh, be praying for him. But I do want to just say again, a special word to all of our staff for how they have stretched uh, to make Christmas and Advent uh, very special for our church family. And I do want to say a word of thanks to Corey and Linda and Ben for just wonderfully filling in. As I shared with our church family uh, on email and also social media, I've, I've had COVID and I, uh, I had every symptom you could have. I think this strain even made up a few things uh, for me. And uh, to hear them wonderfully preach and lead us through this season, I'm just very thankful to Linda Bend and Corey. So thank you all for your leadership and again for our staff for just making things go off without a hitch while I was away. What did Jesus do? What did he do at the very beginning of his ministry? That's, that's how we started last year. What, what were the first things he said? What were critical for him? When you're beginning a work, a ministry, a marriage, a friendship, parenting, what are those first things that are critical? That's what we looked at for several weeks, and I encourage you to go back to that series. But what I want us to do for the next several weeks is to ask the question, what do you do in the middle? What do you do in the middle of a work. You've been in a job for 15, 20 years. What do you do in the monotony and the mundane nature of that? What do you do when a friendship has, has really just gone on and on and on? How do you keep that alive? What do you do in a marriage or with parenting? What do you do if you've been in a church for 15, 20, 25 years? What do you do in the middle of a pandemic? It's been 10 to 11 months now. What do you do with life in the middle? That's where we find ourselves at in Mark chapter 6. So for the next several weeks, what did Jesus do in the middle? First things are critical. To start well is critical. And maybe next year we'll talk about how we finish well. But what do you do with life in the middle when there's some monotony? Sure. When there's hurt feelings? When there's having to gut it out? You see all of that happening here for Jesus. He's a year into his public ministry, and there's some real struggle. There's even some chaos. It's life in the middle for Jesus. What do you do when you're in the middle? And just to amplify this, if you read further down in chapter 6, John the Baptist is about to die. And then after that, we love the story of the feeding of the 5,000, but we forget in John's gospel, right after that feeding, when you get the bread of life sermon, pretty much all of his friends desert him. This is life in the middle. How do you gut it out when, when, when some of the shine has worn off and you've been having to preach every day, teach every day? You watch Jesus continue to do these things every day. And Mark 6 says, what do you do in the middle of that? Because the middle can be tough. We're going to look at two words and then a couple of responses. The first word would be unbelief or faith. What do you do with belief 
and faith. And really, the bookends to Mark 6 are amazing. Go back and read Mark 5 and Mark 7. And in Mark 5, you'll see two of the great faith statements in all of Scripture. Jairus is begging for the life of his daughter and saying, if you can just put your hands on my child, she'll be fine. And then right after that, you've got the woman with the blood issues, blood issue for years. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, these deep pictures of faith. Then you skip chapter 6 and you get to chapter 7, and it's the same thing. This mother begging and pleading, Gentile mother, begging and pleading for the life of her child who's struggling from spiritual oppression. And then later, these, this group of people who bring a handicapped person to Jesus, all of it by faith. That's the bookends, and right in the middle is you've got the hometown of Jesus and unbelief. Not just unbelief, uh, but also they're even offended by him. This whole book, in some ways, the great theme, one of the great themes of Mark's gospel is belief and faith in Jesus Christ. But in the middle of chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus, the healer, Barely does anything. A few little healings here and there. Now listen, Jesus is not bound by our faith. Jesus is divine, the very Son of God. Our faith doesn't start or stop him from working, but what Mark's gospel tells us throughout the gospel, if you and I don't have faith, God won't work. He's not bound by what we do. He doesn't need our faith to to work But Jesus simply will not act if we do not believe. He's not like those other pagan gods. You can have no morality. You can have no belief. But you do your little sacrifice. You burn your little incense. And it forces the gods to work. It's not how Jesus works. He won't power play us. He wants heart faith. When there's heart faith in chapter 5 and heart faith in chapter 7, oh, he works and he works marvelously. But that hometown should have known better, had no belief. Are you believing God today? As we start a new year, do you need to say to God, Lord, in spite of my belief, despite where I'm struggling, I'm going to believe. No matter what my feelings are saying, no matter with all that's all around me, I am going to believe. Because in Mark's gospel, that's when Jesus works. That's when things happen is when the people of God says, you know what, I expect you to show up. I know that's the kind of God you are. When we're stuck in the middle, keep believing. The second word, not just belief, but the second word that shows up throughout Mark's gospel is amazement. And they actually are amazed at what Jesus says. They've they've never, not only not heard stuff like this, but then for it to be accompanied by the miracles that they see. They are unbelievably amazed, but amazement is never enough. They knew Jesus for 30 plus years. They knew his family. They knew his life. And even though they had seen his wisdom, even though they had seen healings earlier and now here, even with all of that, it did not click and they should have known who he was, that this was Messiah. But it didn't click. There's a story of Matthew McConaughey standing out on the street somewhere in Hollywood one time and a fan came running up to him and says, I know who you are. You're, uh, you're, uh, you're Brad Pitt. He says, no, I'm not Brad Pitt. Okay, wait, you're that Goodwill hunting guy. 
You're, uh, you're, you're the Martian guy. No, I'm, I'm not Matt Damon. Hang on, hang on. You're, uh, and finally, just to give this guy a break and also to get rid of him, Matthew McConaughey stepped up and shared his name. And he said, I'm, I'm Matthew McConaughey. And the guy said, yeah, that's not it. You're, uh, you're, uh, I love what a Christian author said about that. There was Matthew McConaughey identifying himself with his own name and the man had someone else in mind. And so did these Jews. No, you're not Messiah. I, that, we're amazed at your teaching. We're amazed at what accompanies your teaching, these miracles. But no, well, you're, you're not that. In the modern day paraphrase, the message, this is how Eugene Peterson uh, interprets chapter 3. And I love, this, I love this paraphrase. The Jews, they tripped over what little they knew about Jesus and fell sprawling. And they never got any further. They should have known that this was Messiah, and yet there's unbelief. Verse 3, they're even offended. John 1.10 said, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. We ought to be regularly amazed by Jesus when we read, when we live, when we pray, but there's got to be more than amazement. And it's interesting, too, the flip of this is, you see in Scripture in verse 6, Jesus is actually wondering about or amazed by their unbelief. Now, he should have known better, and he does know better. But he should have known better because that's from the very beginning of Scripture. Is Eve unbelieving about what God said when the serpent says, oh, surely he didn't mean this, and she falls for it. It's one of the earliest sins in all of Scripture, unbelief. And you've got Jesus here in his hometown with his brothers and sisters, his mom and his stepdad, and you and I know how unforgiving small towns or medium-sized towns in Mississippi can be. When you grow up and how people from those towns just want to hold you where you are, never let you go above where you were or whatever mistakes you made, they won't let it go. Pastor Chuck Swindoll one time talked about in his hometown, he was, had gone back to visit some people and he showed him a picture of his dog. And just by the way the picture looked, it actually looked as though his dog was walking on water. And he told, showed one of his old friends, hey, look at my dog walking on water. And the old friend looked at the picture and said, oh, your dog can't swim. That's how hometowns can be, right? That's why I don't let you talk to Sandra Raspberry or Willie Graves or Frankie and uh, Jerry Mitchell. They're wonderful people, but they knew me before I knew Jesus. They were in my home church. You're not allowed to talk to them. Because hometowns can, can keep you down. Your past the accuser of the brethren. They love to press and push you down. I can't count some friends early in my life because of my particular choices in life. Or even family members. Are you sure you want to go into ministry? Why would you want to do that? What are those voices? Maybe it's even your own voice that's keeping you from what the Lord is calling you to be. Go back and look at chapter 6, verse 3. What do they call him? Not Messiah. You're a common worker. You're just a, you're just a carpenter. You're a nobody. You're just an average person. Do you have voices that say that to you? Do you have friends who have said that to you? Do you have a past that says that to you? Jesus won't receive that title. And not only is it a common worker, but what else do they call him? 
I want you to be careful how you hear this from me. But they call him mama's boy, which you would never do in Jewish culture. Now listen, Joseph's probably dead at this point. We saw Joseph, his stepfather, uh, uh, when he was 12. That's the last time we've heard of him. He's not at the cross. He's nowhere to be found in Jesus' public ministry. But you would still call him, even with a deceased stepfather, you would say, this is the son of Joseph. This is the hometown of Jesus. They know he's of Joseph's family. Are they still, 31 years later, crushing Mary for those questions about her pregnancy? Are they still taking something from the past and putting that over Jesus? You're the son of Mary, not Joseph. The accuser of the brethren loves to bring up the past. Sometimes it's our hometown. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a business partner. It's why we go to Scripture to get our validation and the calling on our life. It's so important for us to do. I was just yesterday listening to one of my favorite Christian singers. And one of the lines from his song says this. Life is coming to grips with what you're worth when God says one thing, but your heart says another. We've all been there where our heart has said, boy, I'm less than. No, I could never. My life just stops here. I'm stuck in the middle. What do the scriptures say? What has God said over you? Jesus didn't rest in those titles of common worker and son of Mary. He knew who he was by his father. I am Messiah. Don't let your past don't let a word, don't let a mistake, don't let a hometown, don't let a parent, don't let a friend stop you in your tracks. Do you need to believe today? Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Don't let Jesus catch us in unbelief. Let's believe what the Father says about us. Now, this is the other thing that's so amazing about Jesus. What's his response in verses 7 through 13? When life is in the middle, he can't do many healings. He's been rejected by those that he grew up with in his hometown. That The temptation may come after a year of gutting it out in public ministry. I'm just going to circle the wagons. Enough is enough with you people. And I love that Jesus, and this is a word for us, church, Jesus stays on mission. It's a tough season. He's about to lose John the Baptist. He's about to lose more than half of his followers. Jesus says, hey, 12, let's go out. I'm going to release you. In a season where Jesus probably needed them more than he's ever needed them. All the punches he's taken, especially from people at hometown, and it's just like Jesus to let go and to stay on mission and to do the kingdom work of God. It can be like that. Years into a job, you just want to circle the wagons. Or years into a marriage, or years into parenting, and you want to phone it in. And I love here that Jesus says, no, we're going to keep doing what God's called us to do. And listen, it's a reminder to us, too, in the church not only are we all called, and there's different seasons from that, but we're all called at all times to be all 
in for the kingdom. There is no, hey, I've been there and done that. I don't want to embarrass him because I didn't realize he'd be here at this service today. But I, I, I was talking to my daughter a couple of weeks ago about her youth experience here. She just talked about her love for Corey and, about, and her love for all the, the, the kids and the music ministry and the, and the trips, the Juno Lasca. But it's interesting, I was talking about some of the youth leaders and I brought up somebody's name. Now this name I brought up, this guy's, let's just, let's just say he's over 40. Look, I'm over 50. You're over 40, you can't be cool anymore, right? You're over 40, there's no way to be hip. You've just lost it, right? You're over the hill. Well, this, this particular guy I brought up, and I don't want to share his name because I don't want to embarrass you, Bob, because you're sitting right there. But I brought up this guy's name, Bob Graves. You know what my daughter said to me? Oh, Bob Graves is the man. You're over 40, Bob. You should be done with student ministry. But to watch him and so many others love our kids so well and the temptation comes i've done my time at vbs been there done that no i've done my time teaching sunday school no whatever our gifts are or our talents are whatever god's given to us we never stop yes in some season things change so don't don't let this be guilt producing but we never stop serving we can't say as renee said and this is a beautiful thing too when he sends them out he says what does he say to them Don't take a thing with you. And I love how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. The reason he says it that way is because you, you are the instrument. You just be available and let God use you. We never stop serving, especially in the middle when it's tough. I love how our church, in the middle of a pandemic, and I think it's right, we've set some hard protocols. And listen, it's been hard. We've lost some families over that. It's been a hard, gut-wrenching season. To not be able to do the things we want to do, uh, to go through some of that loss, but then also to watch you and your faithfulness. Then we said, hey, we're going to create some teams. They're going to go help some older adults with things or people who have needs. And just to watch you serve so wonderfully. Because listen, we lost half our volunteer base, rightly so, the minute the pandemic hit. If you have any kind of at risk or a certain age, you don't need to serve. CR got gutted, didn't we, Roger? Well, as soon as pandemic hit, half our volunteers had to be gone. It's been a hard season. But then to watch you be faithful in serving through these teams, hear stories of how you've, I get notes from neighbors talking about how our churches have served. To watch you continue to give when you can't fully enjoy everything about church. And yet you're giving so that our church, just a couple of weeks ago, if you saw in the newsletter, hey, we can't go to Delta Grace right now, but somebody else wants to go, we'll pay for it. That wheelchair ramp at that house in the Delta, in the poorest area in the nation, is there because of our church. Or to hear from this summer when uh, the O'Donnells taught on our pastor's Bible study. And to hear their talk of working in a Muslim-controlled country, 1% Christian, where they've got a woman up until recently, every time she was coming to their meeting, they didn't realize it, she was getting beaten up by her brother because he's a Muslim and she's now becoming a new Christian because of this ministry in Azerbaijan. And all of a sudden, they lost some support through this pandemic, and our church said, we're not going to let that happen. You guys are risking for the kingdom there? 1% Christian? Money was sent. 
when we heard about the Moody's and their blessing bag ministry. Money was sent. We just heard a couple of weeks ago about salt and light in Honduras. After not only the pandemic getting hit by two hurricanes and they have a need for a van, our church stepped up and said, here, take thousands. Because you faithfully give. Because you support the ministry of this church in the middle where it could be, it could be so tempting with a building debt and some loss in our church to circle the wagons. But what does Jesus do? Send them out. In a tough time, go. Let go. Can you let go? You read 7 through 13. Now listen, go back 1 through 5. This whole gospel has been Jesus pouring into these guys. First couple of chapters, he's, he's, he's selecting them. Chapter 3, he's giving them promises. Chapter 4, he's giving them instructions. Chapter 5, they get to witness his miracles. They're ready. These are my guys. And I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let them go for the kingdom. In such a difficult time, when Jesus has just received a gut punch in chapter 6, he lets go. How do you and I need to hear that word today? Now listen, as we finish, I love that when he lets them go in verse 7, he lets them go in pairs. There's a good word there for us. And we're going to talk about that next week. Listen, Jesus talks about rest. Yes, so when we gut it out, we need the rest and the Sabbath of the Lord. We'll talk about that next week. But I love that when he lets them go, he also knows they need encouragement. And he knows that about you. And I hope you're finding that. When he sends them out, he doesn't send them out alone, but he sends them out in pairs. We said this a few weeks ago, but I love Tim Tennant of Asbury Seminary who said this. Anybody can get saved on a deserted island. Nobody can get sanctified on a deserted island. We're created for relationship, and we need it. And I love that when Jesus does his ministry, he knows that, and he sends people out in prayer. Can I, can I say, I just want to say a word of thanks again. Not everybody knew I had, and I was really struggling physically uh, for two solid weeks. And so many of y'all reached out to me. But it was interesting. You know who reached out to me pretty much every day? And it really got to be a chore. I got a little tired of it, right? Answering the phone, just sick as a dog. You never reached out to me every day, pretty much? My Sunday school teacher. A guy in my small group, our church, Sarah and I are in a small group in the church. And then I got two preachers that I meet with weekly in an accountability group. It's because I have made the choice to put my life in relationship with the class, with a small group, and an accountability group because I've made that choice to do life with them as hard as it is with all the busyness of my life and family and everything. I'm going to commit to these groups. I can't tell you what the encouragement that I received in a very tough time because of that. And Jesus knows that. You in a group, you in a group, God's designed us for mutual encouragement. Ben would love to talk to you about a Sunday school class, a small group, or an accountability group. I'm telling you, I can't say enough what a blessing it was to my life. How about you this morning? Has the world in, in the middle where you're gutting it out, just going through the everyday life, has, has your past or your situation told you who you can be and who you are? Are you going to listen to the Lord? And listen to what he says you can be and who you are. If you're in the middle and you're gutting it out, it can be hard to let go. 
But you watch Jesus in the middle of his struggle. He lets go. And he lets, he lets kingdom work happen. How, how does God need to do that in and through you? Through the ministries of the church? Are you going to begin to let your marriage bless other marriages? You're going to let your parenting bless other parents in their struggle or grandparents. You're, you're, going to, you're going to, at work, mentor somebody, even though you've been just gutting it out at work. I'm going to mentor somebody. I'm going to reach somebody for Christ. I love how Jesus doesn't circle the wagons, but Jesus continues to send and to minister. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this picture into the middle of Jesus' ministry. To know that our Savior went through real struggle and unbelief, even by those who should have known better. We, we thank you for this picture of his humanity. And Father, we also um, we pray that our, right, our response might be as his. That we won't let the words of others keep us from the kingdom work that you've gifted to us. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit and our response to your word uh, that, that in spite of wherever we are and whatever struggles we're in the middle of, Uh, We'll be faithful. We'll believe what you've said about us, that we'll be amazed, but our amazement will be turned out into ministry. So show us, Lord, where, where those places are, that we would not give up and say, been there, done that, that we'd be open to the ways that you would use us and whatever relationships we have uh, for you and for your glory. Help us to give in a season when it's when it's very tempting to take. And we'll praise you for that. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.